Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Welcome back. OutKick 360 on the OutKick network. We are live from the 6th and Peabody broadcast studios, downtown Nashville. I'm Chad Withrow. Paul Kuharski is here as well. We got a little bit of a scheduling swap coming up. Bobby Carpenter normally on Fridays with us. He's going to join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Armando Salguero will join us uh, tomorrow on the show. We'll still be talking football coming up in 20 minutes. Um, but yeah, Bobby will join us today. Armando tomorrow. Let's get you a quick Masters leaderboard update uh, with the latest on what's going on at Augusta National. It is Cameron Smith right now in the lead at six under par. Uh, he is on the 18th right now. Uh, Tiger Woods, talk of the tournament, currently at one under par. He birdied the 16th. He just parred the 17th. So he's at one under, very much in contention, five strokes off the lead as he goes to the 18th hole. Sanjay M is at four under par. Danny Willett, three under. Daniel Berger, the American, at three under par, along with Scotty Scheffler, current world number one. Joaquin Neiman, the Chilean, that's Jacob Swanson's favorite golfer, three under par, put all of his money on him coming in. Looks like a genius so far. Neiman on the 17th. Other notable names, Cameron Champ at one under par, Webb Simpson, one under, Dustin Johnson, one under through six. Rory McIlroy trying to complete the career grand slam at one under through four. Hideki Matsuyama, last year's champ, even par through 16. I'm trying to find Jordan Spieth. There he is, even par through five, along with Brooks Kepka, who is even through four holes. That is our Masters leaderboard update for now. We'll continue to update you. Again, Tiger headed to the 18th hole uh, here momentarily. Paul, you just brought up a story. Uh, we're going to ask Bobby Carpenter about it as well. But I- I've seen this headline flash up today. Tom Brady and the Dolphins doesn't seem to go away. Reports about you know meetings on a yacht about uh, speculation about a trade that was going to happen, about all these different things with Stephen Ross, his Michigan relationship, and Tom Brady possibly being a part of the Dolphins. There's a report out there right now that takes it even a step further. So uh, Pro Football Talk says that that Tom Brady retired with the intent of becoming a part owner of the Dolphins with the intent of uh, ultimately joining Sean Payton in Miami and uh, Miami ultimately trading for him. Um, so <clears throat> it, that's quite a, quite a story, quite a plan. Um, and, you know, it, it, like you said, it, it won't go away, really, um, in, in terms of uh, what's gone on. I'm having trouble finding it right now for some reason. Um, well, we'll definitely get more into it um, tomorrow with Armando Salguero, who's there in Miami. Uh, but, yeah, this is just a story with – any speculation connection with Tom Brady and Stephen Ross and the Dolphins uh, definitely has not gone away. Uh, so we'll talk more about this with Armando Salguero. Uh, so LeBron James is in the news again. There is a terrific video that I showed these guys yesterday. Uh, I saw it first tweeted from Clay Travis. That is a one shining moment edition oh, of the so Lakers good. season that is hilarious, especially if you do not like the Lakers. Uh, also, a lot of traction going on where LeBron James had this big tweet about, you know, I want everyone who's questioning the age of our personnel and our desire and how good of a team we are. I want you just to be as loud. Bring that same energy when we figure it out this year and we turn things around. 
And of course, when the Lakers are officially out of even the play-in game uh, or the play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs, people are bringing that tweet back around from LeBron James. Year. It's, it's really bad. And so LeBron James, um, he's on the show The Shop, which I believe is on HBO. It moved from HBO Did it? to something far lesser than HBO. I can't remember what. but So he was asked who he'd like to play with most in the NBA. His first answer made sense. Bronny James, his son, that he wants to last long enough for his son to play in the league and play on his team. Bronny's currently a, a junior in high school. He also said in this, which I found interesting, he said that his son's big goal is to not live off his dad's name and that his son changed his name to Bronny. That was not a nickname given by the parents. He did not want to be known as LeBron James Jr. He changed his name to Understandable. Bronny and wanted to be known as Bronny James instead, but that he wants to make a name for himself, which I, which I can respect. Uh, but then he goes on to say, in today's game, there's some expletive that I cannot say on this show. There's some bleeps Bleep. in today's game. But Steph Curry's the answer. Steph Curry's the one I want to play with for sure in today's game. I love everything about the guy. He's lethal. When he gets out of his car, you better guard him right from the moment he pulls up to the arena. You might want to guard him when he gets out of the bed. He's serious. LeBron James, uh, now look, this is speculation. This is him answering a question on this show about who he'd honestly want to play with, but there's already reports speculation, everything going out there that LeBron is wanting to angle to get to the Warriors to play with, with Steph Curry. Paul, your thoughts? I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if he yet again <clears throat> created a construct where he got uh, himself in a favorable situation. Um, you know, I saw yesterday some talk about DeRozan and, and uh, you know, the Lakers could have had him last year and instead went with Restbrook and what a uh, disastrous decision that was. I, <clears throat> look, the ship has sailed in terms of putting together all-star teams in the NBA, but I'd much prefer he at least get guys to come to him instead of him going to guys, right? And that's what he did with the Lakers. I mean, he, you know, he basically formed the roster as he wanted. He was the GM. This is an so awfully he, bad roster. Well, I mean, he, he brought year. it together. It worked out for one championship when they were in the bubble, you know, that no one watched. But they won the title that year, so it did work at some point. But this is all his creation with the Lakers. So that was him getting guys to come to where he was going or to come to him. But don't, isn't he obligated in some ways here or to reconstruct things? If he's saying, bring this same energy when, uh, when I get it going again, isn't he – isn't it implied in that when we get it going again here? He's not saying, bring it when I go somewhere else. It's, once again, we will not do the tired LeBron versus Michael debate on this show, and I'm not getting into that right now. But I'll, I'll say this. This is where it's the big separator between the two because there's just not – a lot of hate in LeBron James' heart. No, but there also wasn't There's just nearly very, this level of player movement back no, then. No, but also it's not apples, apples. Michael Jordan could have demanded what he wanted. Yes. I mean, he had that power. But if he wanted to go play there were two eras with of other that All-Stars, team, and he could it generally have done it. stayed the same. His roster wasn't nearly as fluid as rosters but, are now. But we do know Jordan would have hated LeBron James if they played in the same era. Just like he oh, hated absolutely. all the other stars. Instead There's of, just these guys don't some of them, I'm sure, do, and they're more throwback. But LeBron James doesn't hate anyone. I mean, 
Michael Jordan would have hated Steph Curry. He would not be talking about playing alongside Steph Curry, that he's a guy to play with. Now, you retire, and you get closer to guys. You know, I'm sure you know, Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan can have a drink together now and be fine and talk about their playing days now that they're out of the or league. Or that dream team allowed a certain yeah. level of respect out of season. But that was even still a fist fight almost every day. But if there was respect also amongst those guys. Um, and I also can't help but take this as a shot. When he goes back, they asked him, you know, players throughout history, who do you want to play with? His answer was Kobe Bryant, Penny Hardaway, and Scottie Pippen. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that seems to me like a little bit of a side shot that Michael Jordan. I don't think well, I'd love to have bit. the teammate like Scottie Pippen on my side. No telling how many titles I would have won consecutively. That's the way well, I he's read saying, it. I'm the Jordan, I need the Pippen. And again, to me, that's a shot at Michael Jordan. Maybe because I've studied Michael Jordan too much and watched way too many episodes of The Last Dance over and over again, I'm now starting to think the way Michael Jordan would think about that. And I bet Michael Jordan reads that and takes it as a shot at him yeah. when he mentioned Scottie well, Pippen. Michael Jordan's uh, programmed to, to take everything probably as a shot, and that certainly has some shot to it. Um, but I also think... Also, Scottie also, Pippen and Michael Jordan hate each other yes, currently. But also to... to, to to cut LeBron a little bit of a break, I, I, whether he's saying he's Jordan or not, like his equivalent or not, I think he's thinking of himself as the Jordan there, so he doesn't need a Jordan as a teammate. He's the Jordan guy, so he's surrounding himself with people like, like Jordan surrounded himself with Pippen. He needs a Pippen. He doesn't need a Jordan. He's the Jordan. Whether, whether he's saying he's comparable or not, he, he's in that role. So I'd give him a little bit of a slack there. But it's just not the same is what it boils down to. And we sound like old, yeah. old men. But if you weren't around for the NBA, then not just the Jordan part, but the, the contempt part. I'm a Knicks guy. The Knicks contempt for the Pistons and the Bulls and the bully ball that was played then and the physicality. It, it's not even the same sport. Um, and, and the hate was built out of the style of play. And the personalities of Rodman and the Oakley beating on each other and Lambeer. Um, there's just not an element of that at all. And then, you know, I saw the Suns and the Lakers when I was on vacation maybe a month ago now. And LeBron's, you know, throwing up fallaway threes at the end of possessions that are just like give up possessions. Okay, we didn't find ourselves a good shot here without much effort. I'll just heave something up. There weren't give up possessions like that in crucial. And this was a crucial game for the Lakers. Yeah. Who every game was a crucial game in the second half of the season Absolutely. for them. In, in the time that we're talking about, in Jordan's time, games between rivals it, with playoff seeding and implication on the line, you would never give up a possession and, and, and just kind of willingly say, all right, I'm just going to throw up a fall away three here. And we'll get them next time. It's just a whole different deal. I think it's also Which is why it sucks. today's today's game gets, um, and I think all of sports to an extent. You know, I mean, you can watch or listen to this show whenever you want. You can go to any streaming service and watch whatever you want, whenever you want. And when some of these streaming services start to have offerings that become culturally relevant and popular, that deal with the past era of NBA basketball. Winning time with the Lakers right now is one example. Pato, you didn't like it, but a lot of people are watching and talking about it. Uh, and you watch that, and most people that watch it think, man, I wish the NBA today 
had a little bit more of this flair and personality and also guys who hated each other, like Bird and Magic and, and some of these things that happened then. Uh, there's a new docuseries coming to Apple TV, uh, Apple Plus, uh, They Call Me Magic. That's all about Magic Johnson. That's episodic and takes you through his entire life. I think that's going to spark nostalgia. Obviously, The Last Dance did a lot of that for 80s and 90s NBA basketball. I think the product today in the NBA is hurt by those things when people watch it. I also think, Paul, that, and I, I talked to Dan Dockich a little bit today about this, um, the playoffs are worse without LeBron James. Now, the Lakers not making it and LeBron not being a part of the NBA playoffs does not help the NBA, regardless of what you think about LeBron yeah, James, he's one of the best players of all time. And even if you love to hate LeBron James, you're watching because you're rooting against the Lakers and LeBron James. Well, him not being in the playoffs does not help the NBA. We've talked about the need. Well, first off, you want the more stars, the merrier. And we've talked about the need for the NBA to have a villain. And he is, in many ways, a villain now. Not, not in the classical sense. Not, not in the Rodman, Lambeer uh, you know, hate hate a guy for the way he plays sense, but in a sense of all of these things that we're talking about, you know, go where your friends are or uh, or bring your friends to you or all of this stuff. He's symbolic. He's, he's the chief symbol of the change in the league that most of us from a certain era don't like. Um, so he's a villain in, in, in that form. You know what's intriguing about the NBA right now to me? And we need to put this on our list and, and talk about it, if not this week, next week. MVP. <clears throat> MVP is usually a foregone conclusion, or at the very least, two-man race. I don't think we know who MVP is. Ringer's done some stuff on MVP. There are at least four guys who can, can, you can make a good case for in MVP right now. I don't remember MVP ever being such a convoluted thing now. Maybe it turns out that it, it, somebody wins it going away. I listen to NBA insiders right now, and it doesn't seem that they have a very clear handle on who MVP is this year. No, that's interesting. I'm jotting that down for future discussion for sure. Uh, I also think just with these NBA playoffs, it's not a good thing that LeBron James isn't involved, but it's also an opportunity. We talked about this last, last year. Last year with Milwaukee, that was a team that I, you know, I also bet on them early in the year to win it all, so I had rooting interest that way. But I'm watching them play, and I'm like, okay, this is a team that I like, and I can like watching them play in the playoffs – I look at the possible playoffs right now, teams involved, and I'm thinking, who's going to become that story? We talked about it with the Masters. Who's the story this weekend outside of Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods is in the spotlight. He's the biggest story by a mile. Who's going to step up and be the next thing? Who's going to step? Be, what's the story now in the playoffs other than right now? Who's not in the playoffs? And that's LeBron and the Lakers. That's the biggest story today. But who's going to emerge as that story? That's going to be something to follow and a good, nice opportunity for someone. You saw one of them that lost the finals last year, Paul, this year, the Suns. You know, a team like that. And without Chris Paul, they were terrific. Yeah. I mean, that's a terrific team. Um, and, and they're an easy team to root for, I think, stylistically and personality-wise. They had a lot of likable guys on that team. Also terrific, Bobby Carpenter. And Bobby is going to join us coming up next to talk some NFL. There he is right there. Uh, looking like he just left a, a business meeting, possibly. We'll ask him about what deal he closed before he came in to do this interview. We thank Bobby for moving his time up with us today. He's going to join us coming up. But first, I want to tell you about the USFL. The season, almost here. A week from Saturday, April 16th, the USFL kicks off. 
and you can watch it on Fox. USFL tickets on sale now in Birmingham. Every game in Birmingham, only $10 for adults. Kids under 15 admitted free. Limit three children per one ticketed adult. A box open is going to be open two hours prior to kickoff. So if you're really anywhere in the southeast, pretty easy drive uh, to get over to Birmingham, about two and a half hours from Nashville, where the studio is right now. If you're in the area, Protective Stadium, Birmingham, you got the Birmingham Stallions, New Jersey Generals, April 16th, 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Again, tickets, only $10 for adults. Kids under 15 admitted free. Limit three children per one ticketed adult. I'm excited about the kickoff of USFL coming up a week from Saturday on April 16th and excited about Bobby Carpenter coming up next. This is Outkick 360. We are back with Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow alongside Paul Kowarski. Jonathan Hutton out today. He will be back with us tomorrow. Back with us today, normally on Fridays, but he swapped with us today. Bobby Carpenter of Outkick, former NFL player, former Ohio State Buckeye, great on with us right now. Uh, Bobby, you seemed a little more dressed up today uh, for this appearance. A lot of business meetings today. What's going on? Yeah, I had some meetings, but most notably here after this, I'm going to go speak at the executive MBA graduation for Ohio State. So, you know, uh, it's it's a kind of a unique deal. I mean, that most of those people are probably going to be at least my age or older. Uh, so I don't know if I pull out like the Dr. Seuss book, like the places you'll go. I mean, is that, do you go like full high school corny with that? <laughs> um, you know, Ford, so it's probably... Probably not the route that I'll take. So I got to get dressed up a little bit, throw a suit on, make sure I look appropriate. But, you know, it's unfortunate, you know, Hutton's not with you guys. Um, you know, see how is he celebrating Clay's birthday? I mean, did you guys wish him a happy birthday yesterday, <laughs> by know, the way? I, I saw um, – I was actually supposed to, to meet up with Clay about something a, a week ago. We'd planned it for yesterday. And then three days after that, he said – hey, I can't meet because I forgot that that Wednesday is my birthday and my family planned something. Sorry. And I'm thinking, man, you know, you're, you're really busy. And I, I'm that way now, too. You know, I turned 40 recently, Bobby. When the, when the birthdays start to get up there a little bit, you really don't care about your own birthday as much, and it's easy to forget. So Clay's now in that territory. I did not wish him a happy birthday. Uh, I, I should have, but I'm sure, oh. that, I'm sure many other people took care of that for him. Yeah, no, I'm I sure. concur. I, I or or told him, or told him that they hoped he died. You know, that probably also happened on his yeah. birthday. That's that's probably a lot of it. I do uh, I do it this date in history um, on my morning show in Columbus, Ohio. We open up six o'clock every morning. He'll go through that, and I mean, he'll be happy to know. I mean, Wikipedia considers him a notable enough person to have his birthday on the list. So I saw that, wrote it down, talked about it. And I'm like, yeah, probably half the people think it's awesome. Half the people think. <laughs> You know what? That uh, why you mentioned this guy. I wish he would. I wish this was his passing, not his actual birthday. So I shot him a little birthday text and uh, wished him well. So I figured you guys would be out partying, and maybe maybe that's where Hutton's actually at. Maybe he made up that whole Philip Fulmer ruse. Maybe and him and Claire out out partying together. Who knows? Yeah, who knows what Hutton's up to? Maybe he is out with Clay right now. I wonder what the over under is, Bobby, on how many people sent Clay a, a DM on Twitter that said, I, I wish this day never existed. <laughs> this world would be a lot better place if however many years ago that uh, you didn't happen. I'm sure Clay had that. I'm sure he'll probably tweet about it too uh, at some point. Absolutely. Hey, by the way, nice segue here with you going to uh, speak to the NBA program at, at Ohio State uh, with the business program because it seems Tom Brady obviously has a lot of business interest and now a report coming out that there was a possible deal in place for him to be a part owner of the Miami Dolphins. 
uh, with, with Stephen Ross. Uh, th- it seems, Bobby, that the talk of Tom Brady and the Dolphins just won't go away. There's new layers to it every single time with Stephen Ross and his Michigan connection to Tom Brady. Well, I will tell you this. That Michigan connection is real, obviously. Both of them you know, going there. Stephen Ross, I think, wanting to be – wanting to have a great team so badly. Like, you know, and, and it's amazing with the opening day of Major League Baseball, you see half the teams basically give up before the year even begins. In the NFL, the owners, they'll spend as much as they can. They'll spend as on coaches, on facilities, on players, whatever it takes to go try to buy a title. And I think Steven Ross is in that category. I mean, you can say he's not a good owner, but it's not for lack of effort. I mean, the guy is doing everything he can. And I, I asked about this because – it leaked out a couple of weeks ago. So I started doing a little research, asking around some guys who I knew in front offices and you know, some guys who cover the NFL really closely on a national level and, you know, have a lot of you know, great conversations. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm convinced from the people I talked to that, that that was real, that the ship has sailed, I think at this point, but I do believe that that was a real scenario. And if you look at it from what the Miami dolphins were doing, you know, trying to amass all of this talent on the offensive side of the ball, you know, kind of giving up some draft picks this year. They still have some in the future, you know, and they had Tua, and so it's like, okay, you can do that. And I thought they were doing that to really find out what Tua was all about. But I think that there was also that off-ramp where, you know, you're going to offer a guy something that's never been offered before, you know, a slice of ownership. He's a Michigan guy like you. And he's a proven winner. And you saw what he did last year, despite the fact that his team was decimated with injuries at the end of the year. The guys, you know, won a bazillion Super Bowls. He's done it at two places now. And all of a sudden, it's like you have a chance if you're Tom Brady, you get a reset. You can go uh, go to a new team. You're going back to the AFC, which is tough. But you get to go to the AFC East. And that means you get to play Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots Twice a year, you get to go through all your traditional routes in the AFC, and you would do it with a stacked and loaded team. And so I think that there was that appeal there for Tom Brady. You know, Tampa Bay, I think, was not going to relinquish his rights. If he was going to retire, they were going to make sure he stayed retired. And if someone wanted him, they would have to give up a lot to get him. And right now in his career, I mean, let's say he plays another year, two years, even three. I don't know if it would be worth giving up you know, the farm, maybe two first round picks to ultimately bring him in. But from everything that I have learned and people that I talked to, that was a real deal probably about three weeks ago. Here's my question. Back, back when Tom, uh, back when Peyton Manning was on the market and the Titans were courting him, Bud Adams had this idea about giving him a share of ownership, but the issue came up that it would have had to factor into salary cap stuff. So I, I don't understand how Tom Brady could have started in Miami as a minority owner, then been traded for, then played. Seems to me it would have been out of sequence. They would have had to get him as a player first, let him play things out, let him retire, then made him a minority owner. Because the finances, unless the rules have changed since back then, don't allow you to be a part owner without it counting as part of your salary, so to speak. So, and I, I think, and I'd have to look at the CBA and kind of parcel that all out. But Paul, I think you're on to the right track there. It would have to be with someone that you implicitly trust. And I don't know the relationship, you know, with obviously Stephen Ross and Tom Brady, but they do have that Michigan connection. And I'm sure that they've been around each other. And maybe it was, hey, a wink and a nod. We'll sign you here. We'll give you this salary. And then when you're done playing, we're going to get you a, a sweetheart deal. We'll cut you in a, a couple points on the ownership or 5% or whatever it is. 
or maybe, and, and this is what I don't officially know, where we'll sell you a portion of the team, maybe at a severely discounted rate. And so we're not giving you anything. You're actually buying something. And I just, I don't know the salary cap treatment on it and what the CBA says. I'd have to look at it, but there are ways around it. And a lot of it takes a lot of trust. But I think if you're doing that with Tom Brady and it's going to be a high profile transaction, bring him in. I think you can obviously paper some stuff back channel that never makes it to an NFL contract, but you know, is also going to happen when you're done playing. That makes sense. What um, quarterbacks in the draft, do you think, how do you stack them? Are Pickett and Willis in some order one and two? And is there, you think, uh, an emergence of, of a third guy? You know, that's, that's tough. And you sit here and you look around and I, I did a Malik Willis game earlier this year. He's got a lot of tremendous physical attributes. You know, he's a little bit shorter. I, I haven't necessarily watched him get through a ton of progressions. And so I, I think that there is a little bit of speculation there. You know, Pickett, I think is probably the most NFL ready, but I, I don't know if, um, I don't know if, if he would define him as a great can't miss guy. And those guys are probably going to all end up going in the in the first round, including um, what's his name from Old Miss? My goodness, uh, Corral, Matt Corral, uh, Matt Corral, who I really like. He's got a ton of physical attributes. You know, he throws a really good ball. You know, the question becomes, you know, with Lane Kiffin's offense and his little gimmicky, and you know, I, I don't know because I think now the NFL is more like college football than it ever was before. So you obviously have Corral. Like I think how the ship has kind of sailed on him and they'll probably be drafted more towards the middle rounds. But I don't know if anybody really loves these quarterbacks. What do you, what do you think about Desmond? What do you think about Desmond Ritter, Bobby? I want to ask you about him. You've got intimate knowledge of the coach there, obviously, in the state uh, with Cincinnati. Uh, is that a guy that, as we get closer, if I'm trying to pick someone that sneaks into that first round that's not projected there right now, maybe it's Desmond Ritter? I don't, I don't dislike that. I think that all those guys are going to get overdrafted. And it wouldn't surprise me if all of them are taken. You know, there's four quarterbacks taken in the top 40. Maybe some slide to the top of the second round. And, you know, if some of them are available, you see a lot of jockeying between Thursday night and Friday morning to get a trade done to maybe get them. I like Desmond Ritter a lot. You know, he's, he's really tall. He's got a nice stride. He's athletic. You know, there have been some accuracy issues with deep balls. But if you look at what he was able to do, you know, he played two really good teams in bowl games in Georgia and Alabama back-to-back years. And he played all right. You know, given the talent that he had around him, you know, what he was asked to go against, two of the, you know, you could argue the best defenses in college football or top two or three in, in any given year. And I thought he handled himself as well as anybody was going to, you know, given the weapons he had and really some of the deficiencies on the offensive line. I like Ritter. You can see him. He gets through progressions pretty well. Like I said, he does have that deep ball accuracy issue, and he had it coming into the season. He did get a little bit better at it. And that was something I did their first two games, and they talked about trying to work on throughout the season is taking those shots, trying to be accurate with it. Um, I think there's a lot of intrigues. I think he has a tremendous upside. If you look at the NFL now, you need a quarterback that's athletic. And if you have someone who can extend plays, you know, they're going to be able to buy time early in their career. It's going to be beneficial to them. And I'd almost liken it, you know, a, a little bit to Josh Challen up in Buffalo. Like when Allen came in, he had some accuracy issues. He had, you know, maybe some timing is, issues, but he was athletic. He could move around. He could buy time. And that allowed him because he chose to work at it really hard every offseason to improve on those things and get better. So Desmond Ritter, like I do think that there's some intrigue there with him. I just, I think, I don't think a lot of these teams are really putting a high value 
on many of these quarterbacks. So I don't think this will be a, a time where you know we'll see three guys go in the top 15. I think some of those guys will begin to slide a little bit. And once you start getting to the back end of the first round, most of those teams generally don't need quarterbacks because they're playoff teams unless there's been trades. And so I think some of them could slide to the top of the second, and that's where we'll get some of those trades going on probably Thursday, uh, Thursday, late Thursday night and early Friday, Friday morning. Outkick football analyst Bobby Carpenter, our guest, moved up from Friday to Thursday to help us out. Saints made a deal with the Eagles to get themselves two first-round picks. Uh, I saw where you were speculating that was to position themselves for one of these quarterbacks that we're all not that wild about. What do you think they're headed for? And so this is this happened a couple of years ago, and you've watched teams do this where you know, they'll make this trade early on to get a couple of first-round picks, so then they can ultimately package those and get up should the guy they want fall. And so I think they're sitting there like 16 and 19, and it's not like you know, they have a ton of ammunition. But this everything has been a pretty deep draft. From this point, I just don't think there's a ton of great quarterbacks. And so if the Saints think there's someone they really like, and I don't know who that might be at this point, I think they're probably going to try to go up and get him if they slide somewhere between 7 and 10. And if you look at the Saints roster, I mean, they've got a lot of boxes checked. They seem to just have just about every position except for the quarterback. And I can't believe that they would feel great about going into the season with Jameis Winston. Just you saw him last year. He looked better than he has in the past. But that was with Sean Payton, who I would argue has been one of the best play callers of the NFL the last 20 years. You remove him from that, you're putting a lot on Jameis Winston. I think the Saints are moving up. They're one of the few teams who don't want to wait. You know, the Eagles like, hey, we'll give it another year with Jalen Hurts, and we'll like look next year at Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud and some of these other guys who I think are going to be pretty good, and we'll wait for a better crop and have a better selection where the Saints probably look at this more as a win-now situation. Let's see if we can go get a guy, and he can be pretty good for us with a loaded team in year one. Bobby, there are times where if you try to make everything the same, it actually makes it worse. And I'm talking about the NCAA with this. You know, Mike Krzyzewski, and I know that he feels emboldened now on his way out in retirement to speak out, but in the Final Four press conference, he goes all in on Mark Emmert and the NCAA and the lack of leadership, and it sparks a conversation about the need for sport-specific governing bodies for every sport. You need to have one group that uh, covers men's college basketball, one that covers football, one that covers women's swimming. You, know, you go through each sport and you find a group that knows the sport, the needs of it, and can govern it other than what the NCAA has tried to do for years and tell you that every single athlete has to be governed by the same body, the same way, same benefit structure, all of that. We're seeing big-time cracks in the facade of all of that. What would a college football, high-level college football governing body look like, in your opinion? And would it be constituted by former coaches, administrators? How would you go about doing that? Do you like that idea to get away from the NCAA model? Oh, I definitely like that idea. And the cracks were first shown with the USC sanctions, you know, from the Reggie Bush situation, because for 50 years, they told us everyone was the same. You know, the, the synchronized swimmer, the softball player, the football player, everybody's the same. And everybody on the football team was the same. And then they rendered a, a tough judgment against USC. Why? Because they said Reggie Bush was a star. And so you, you should have been more in tune with him than maybe some of the other players. And so I, I love this model. 
because you think about it, you know, there's division one football and really you could even tear that off to about the top 50 teams and, you know, probably the next 70 or so teams as well. And then you have college basketball in division one where there's like 300, hundred teams. And, you know, there's so many different teams and conferences that participate in some of these different sports. I think that that would ultimately make sense. You know, the problem that it, that it comes with, I, everybody wants these damn committees guys and like committees are awful. That's all we have like in political systems and bureaucracies is like a committee and they can never really agree on anything. And we want to just add more and more people to the committee, get more voices, you know, more influence. I think you, you would have to have a panel, small number. I'm talking like five people. I don't care if you've got a coach, you know, maybe an AD, former coaches, like maybe a couple a former player or two, make it fairly diverse as far as people at different parts of the food chain that are, that are done. They're not actively working. They've already done that, pay these people. And so it's in their best interest to do the things they need to do. And they'll fill, put all their time into it and give them a nice salary and, you know, have some accountability, some standards, but keep that darn committee small. So it's not, doesn't turn into the NCAA where these things go into committee and they ultimately die because it takes forever. Don't make this thing like the U S Congress, make it something that can be fast. It can be nimble, can be agile that will talk to and go out and talk to coaches all the time. Talk to players when you're not meeting and you're not working on things, get out, get to the campuses and talk to people and realize, Hey, how can we make it better? What are your problems? And I think if they did something like that, that would probably ultimately work the best. I'm not even positive I've got this right. A judge is forcing Deshaun Watson to reveal the details about his relationships with 18 women who are on his side, who have supported him here. Um, and, and how is this whole thing going to work now, this element of the deal? So this is what happened, you know, Paul, when all the accusations came out, and I don't know if you remember, it was a while back. Yeah. Um, you know, his attorney and his legal defense team put together like 18 women who were cool had him. given him massages yeah. before and there were never any complaints about, right. you know, either he behaved appropriately or there was consensual acts that had potentially happened because that's what he was suggesting with some of the 22 accusations that some nothing happened, but the things that did that it was all consensual. So he built this 18 women. Well, here's the other, here's the problem now. I don't know what, what the time frame was. We were talking about 40 different individuals that he's going to have to deal with. And the judge is saying, okay, in the civil case, this is all civil now, that if these are the, the women who signed affidavits to defend you and this is their, you're going to have to describe what happened and your relationship with him. Now, people were, you know, I, I don't know if there's a lot of uh, social media lawyers out there saying he can plead the fifth. I don't know if he'll be able to do this. It's a civil case. And ultimately, if they're saying everything was consensual and there's no wrongdoing here, like you're not admitting to any wrongdoing in it, just describe to me what happened so we can get an idea. That's not going to look good publicly. You know, people that may be on the fence, if there is anyone left, I would have to think would probably tip against him. And should some of those details come out? And the other thing, the NFL doesn't want that to happen. No. And so you got to realize this, the NFL really renders their penalties based upon the court of public opinion. And if there's not a whole lot of information, Roger Goodell can say, hey, we'll give you two games, maybe four. You start getting to something where there's a lot of people that have to kind of hold their nose like, ah, this may not be illegal, but we don't necessarily like the trend that it was setting and the behavior. And, you know, it doesn't represent the league or the shield all that well. Then I think he's probably going to start looking more 
at four plus eight games, six games, something like that. So if he ultimately has to go and talk about this, it's not going to look very good for the league and it's really not going to look good for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I think the thinking is you presented these 18 women as character witnesses on your behalf. Now you're going to need to answer questions about the exact nature of your relationship with the 18 in order to get to the bottom of things. Uh, And I don't know how they can ever compel you to not plead the fifth, even in a civil case. I I don't know how it works, but it does read that way, Bobby, that he's got to talk about it. Yeah, but pleading the fifth doesn't look... That a judge is going to make him talk about it in some way. Pleading the the fifth also doesn't make him look great. No, but he pled the fifth last time, and there were no Uh charges by two grand juries. So Uh, sometimes it works. One thing about this, like like you mentioned, Chad, I mean, these are women that are coming to your defense, so... Right. Why they're, they're wouldn't thinking, you why talk, talk about, about it? it? Yeah, let's disclose yeah. it. Let's talk to you and them about it. Ab- absolutely. Bobby Carpenter, OutKick football analyst at BCARP3 on Twitter. Bobby, go crush it with those NBA students at Ohio State. Thanks. Thanks, gentlemen. You guys have a good one. Absolutely. So the college basketball national championship game broke a record on Monday night. What record? We'll tell you when we come back. This is OutKick 360. A Masters leaderboard update coming up very soon. This is Outkick 360 alongside Paul Koharski. I am Chad Withrow on this Masters and Major League Baseball opening day Thursday. College basketball season ended Monday night, and it ended with a bang. Great game between North Carolina and Kansas. Kansas gets it done, wins a very close game. And that game set a record uh, with television ratings, Paul. The most watched national championship game ever on cable. <laughs> million people watched the game. Uh, This goes back closer to the pre-pandemic numbers for a college basketball national championship. I was amazed, though. The last time the game was over 20 million in viewership was 2017 when North Carolina beat Gonzaga. That was Gonzaga's first trip to a national championship game and a loss to to, uh, North Carolina. Was that CBS? Yes, and we were actually watching that game in Augusta the night before we were at the practice round for the first time at the Masters in Augusta. We all watched that game together. Um, before that, so 20 million, that was, the, that was the, the bar in 2017. The last time 30 million plus watched college basketball national championship game, you got to go all the way back to 1994 when Arkansas beat Duke for a national championship. That was the last time it had 30 million plus. 18.1 million watch combined on TBS, TNT, True TV, and streaming for this Monday's game. Well, we thought it would be down. So, I mean, I guess that's a good, that's a good number for cable, but I, I think it's kind of silly that we have to talk about for cable. Um, you know, I think there were four, we looked this up last week, four BCS title games that were on ESPN. But I think ESPN is a different animal also. If you're going to be on cable, then you're on ESPN. If, if you're off ESPN, which is the first place people would go for a non-over-the-air broadcast, then you really <clears throat> have to look. And I think a lot of people automatically go to CBS thinking Final Four. When you don't see it, you know, what do you lose there? Um, and then with, you know, cord cutters and everything, uh, how many people – you know, don't have a route to TBS, say. I received tweets from people saying, why is the game not on CBS? Like, as the game was happening on Monday night. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I, I don't disagree with them that it should be, but if you're on Twitter and can tweet me 
Why is the game not on CBS? You got to. I feel like you're technologically advanced enough to know where the game you can find the game. Like if you if you are good enough on you know my seventy uh, seven year old dad might have to text me to ask where to find a game, right. right? But he's also not on Twitter, so I feel like if you're asking someone on Twitter where to find it, you could probably find it on your own. You would think. Yeah, um, well, you're presuming those people have cable. Yes. I mean, if you don't have cable, you're not finding it, right? If you're, if you're a cord cutter that's pieced together other things, do you have TBS? Uh, no. I wouldn't think so. If you've got YouTube TV, do If you you've got YouTube TBS? TV, you've got one of those, right? There's no way that YouTube TV doesn't have TNT, TBS, or True TV. Do we have any YouTube TV people back here? Got Davey's looking around like maybe he might know, but I, I, maybe not. Um, this is like why I still have, have cable because I, I feel like it's complicated and I just want the luxury and I understand it's a luxury of sitting down, turning on one thing and having access to virtually everything through that one thing and the trade-off. And we've done, you know, an hour on this on our old show. Uh, you, I think it was with Hutton out that you and I did, you know, we had a bunch of callers proposing and, and it's putting together a big puzzle if you want the alternatives that include enough of the options somebody like you and I would want. It's too complicated. I, here's and what you I, get all those streaming services and you end up like, who was it? Abu on, uh, on, on Seinfeld, who wanted a restaurant that had something for everybody, got talked out of it. And ultimately, when you put together the restaurant for everybody, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not good. Well, you, you, if you piece together all those streaming services, I think it probably adds up to what my cable bill adds up to, which is too high. Yeah, no, it, it probably goes more now because those, those streaming services continue to tick up and up. Here's also what I need. I'm on a limited amount of television time that I have. I'm an early riser, given my situation with, with two kids. So I don't stay up that late watching what I want to watch. So my issue now, Paul, is I see something online that I have to see, that I really love the trailer for. I see it, right. and then I see that, oh, it's on Hulu or something that I don't have, and that almost angers me because then I think, man, now I want to get Hulu. What I really need is to see less and have less streaming services and actually dive into all of one streaming service. I mean, wouldn't life be simpler Cycle if you, through. If you Do just three months to, of Hulu, empty it out. I just need like two. Go to the next. I don't even need that. I, I don't even want to know what's on Hulu. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to know it exists. I want to get rid of Disney Plus, not know that anything on Disney Plus exists, not care what's on there, and go to Netflix and Apple Plus or Netflix and Paramount Plus or whatever, and get to the point where I can just focus on what's on these streaming services. Because I look at them thinking I'm never going to get to four things on one of these streaming services, much less all the offerings they have. It's See, too much. I'm more There's like, too much choice. Uh, too, there's too much, too much food. Too much. Um, I'm more like I get somewhere in the next three months, something of enough substance will pull me to my Hulu that I'll feel like it's worth it to have Hulu. And the same for there'll be a soccer match I have to see on Paramount+. Plus. And there'll be, you know, something will circle back around on Apple Plus that uh, one of the shows that we're watching, the morning show, will come back on. When we come back, we'll get you an up-to-date Masters leaderboard, and there's some movement going on with names that you know in Augusta. Also, the Tennessee Titans are now part of the Brian Flores lawsuit. We'll discuss that and more when we get you ready for the final hour of the show. That's coming up. This is Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. 